0: attempt to adjust the picture we are controlling transmission we will control the horizontal we will control the vertical we can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity for the next hour sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear you are about to participate in a great adventure you are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to The Outer Limits.
1: When I was a kid, My father told me never to make assumptions or make fun of anyone based solely on their appearance. You don't know the story of his or her life, he would say, and that always stuck with me. A lot of us live in densely populated areas and we never think twice about the folks we pass throughout each day. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but that was in reference to our daytime activities. The whole vibe of a city changes once the sun goes down. Think about the folks you encounter at night, maybe at a gas station or a late trip to the store. Chances are your guard is up and the steps to your car are a little faster. You couldn't care any less about this person's story. You just want to get home. Considering how crazy things have been lately, it's completely understandable. But there may be more to the person behind you in line or standing behind the counter. What if the person standing outside was asking for change as part of an experiment on the compassion of human beings, or what if the indecisive person in the back of the grocery aisle was observing the behavior of everyone in the store. Of course, saying this out loud sounds crazy, but then again, the control voice tells us that the very folks we don't think twice about could serve a purpose that is beyond our understanding. Tonight's episode is another of what I like to call breather episodes, coming off the mice which had its share of exciting fast-paced moments this time, things are much slower, much more contained, taking place mostly in a hotel lobby. I'd say it's another straightforward story, but we'll soon find out why that would be a poor choice of words. Tonight we follow two gentlemen as they set out to investigate what it is that causes human beings to commit murder. The fear is that whatever the cause, it could spread to other planets in the solar system. This called to mind the domino theory of the 1950s. If we put this episode in the historical context, after World War II, there was fear that communism would spread across the globe. Winston Churchill declared that an Iron Curtain had descended across the continent, and that all cities near the Soviet sphere were subject in one form or another to Soviet influence. The domino theory stated that if one country in the region came under the influence of communism, then the surrounding countries would follow in a domino effect. This would lead to the Truman Doctrine which was meant to impede the advancement of communism into Western Europe. All of this would ultimately lead us into Southeast Asia where the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which happened just seven months after this episode aired, would lead to the American retaliatory bombing of North Vietnam. Did the domino theory weigh heavily on the mind of Joseph Stefano during the writing process of this episode? I'll quote the control voice and say, who knows? Now as always, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen Controlled Experiment, you can find it on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, and you can find every episode of The Hour Limits, both original and revival series, streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Now let's sit quietly while Vic Perrin's control voice brings us into tonight's episode, Controlled Experiment.
0: Who has not seen the dark corners of great cities where small and shabby creatures wander without purpose in the secret corners of the night? Without purpose? There are those whose purpose reaches far beyond our wildest dreams.
1: Written and directed by Leslie Stevens, Assistant Director Robert Justman, Director of Photography John Nicholas. This episode aired for the first time on Monday the 13th of January 1964. We open on a shot of a spacecraft descending to Earth. A little fun fact here, this is the spaceship from the 1957 film Invasion of the Saucerman. It's nighttime in the city. We're in a pawn shop where a man sits alone behind a counter. The door opens and a gentleman walks in carrying a briefcase. I want to applaud John Nicholas's lighting in this scene. It's got that noirish vibe that really sets the mood perfectly if you ask me. The man approaches the counter.
2: you've made it did you have a nice trip horrible well uh, the service of these outposts isn't uh, always very good how long did it take you 11 microseconds well that's not bad it's only 11 million miles it's supposed to be instantaneous well, when I first came here it took me a full minute how do you stand it outpost duty would drive me mad especially in the dregs of the universe planet like this one Atmosphere polluted with microbes and exhaust fumes, not to mention human beings jabbering and jostling. Ugh. Well, I suppose we caretakers are really hermits at heart. We get into a little hole in the wall and send in our reports year in, year out. You know.
1: The two men exchange credentials, and we learn that the man at the counter is Diemos, a caretaker assigned to outpost duty on planet Earth. Diemos is played by actor Carol O'Connor who in four years from his appearance here will be cast in a pilot titled Justice For All, an American take on the UK TV hit Till Death Do Us Part. The role O'Connor landed was the role of Archie Justice. Originally, Jackie Gleason, Tom Bosley, and Jack Warden had been considered for the role in different stages of development before proceeding with O'Connor. After a successful screening, ABC gave producers additional funding to shoot a second pilot titled Those Were The Days, Two roles were recast and the name of O'Connor's character was changed to Archie Bunker, and in January of 1971, All in the Family premiered on American television, and the rest, as they say, is history. I honestly didn't recognize him here at first, mostly because my only image of O'Connor comes from the later years of All in the Family, where he was a little heavier and certainly not as warm as he is here. But his addition is a welcome one in the pantheon of actors who have made their way through the outer limits the gentleman with the briefcase is phobos a senior inspector of the solar system sent by control center to earth outpost to conduct a controlled experiment phobos is played by english actor barry morse who is probably best known for his role as lieutenant philip gerard in the tv series the fugitive apart from that he would appear in many roles in movies and in television such as the changeling in space 1999 he would make two stops in the Twilight Zone. Once as Fitzgerald Fortune in the season 3 episode, The Piano in the House, and again in the role of Frank in the season 3 episode of the 80s Twilight Zone titled, Dream Me Alive. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a fan of this episode after my first viewing of it, but the more I rewatched the episode, the more I loved Morris' performance as Phobos. Just listen to his performance in this next clip. The way he delivers his dialogue is almost funny at times, but we get the underlying seriousness of the situation at the same time.
2: I brought some very special equipment with me, using direct observation. The miniaturized temporal condenser squeezes time. Isn't that very dangerous? Oh, very. That's why they sent me. It has to be used very sparingly and with great precision. Otherwise, you can rip a hole in the space-time continuum and release negative matter. But why do they send such powerful equipment to a tenth-rate planet like Earth? Due to your reports on atomic energy. Ever since the Earth creatures started to explode atomic particles, central control has become very uneasy. Oh, but it's nothing. They only use it to blow each other up. That's exactly what interests central control. This process of Earth creatures Destroying each other. This, um, what is it called, um, killing? No, no, no. That includes animals, um... Oh, murder. Oh, murder. Yes, of course. It's so extraordinary, I can never remember it. Yes. Deliberate obliteration. So fantastic. Happens only here on this weird little planet. Nowhere else in the entire galaxy. Well, it doesn't matter, really. They, They only murder each other. Well, what if it becomes an epidemic? What if it proves to be contagious? What if they start using these atomic explosions to murder each other? You see, Mars does not want Earth to overheat. We can't afford to have a new supernova radiating everything to a crisp. Tell me, are you going to destroy the source? We would prefer not to. After all, Earth creatures, they are a form of life, even if they are unspeakable. No, I'm going to conduct a controlled experiment to determine the exact nature of this phenomenon murder. If it turns out to be random and therefore relatively harmless, except of course to the victims, then we should probably let it go. But if it proves to be uh, contagious, a tendency to spread and malignant, well then I'm afraid we shall have to close down and find you another outpost. I
1: love Phobos' disdain for humanity. It's delivered in such an offhand way that it can't help but make you laugh. He calls us unspeakable and mentions our so-called brain matter. Even earlier, he's described our location as being in the dregs of the universe, and the thought of us jabbering and jostling greatly disgusts him. Phobos is the anchor of this episode for me. Control Center is concerned that murder, though Earth-specific, could possibly spread to other planets in the solar system. This is where the domino theory came to mind. There's a knock at the door, and Phobos hides as the customer walks in. Hiding in the back, Phobos reports his observations.
2: Central Control, this is Phobos One, reporting from planet Earth. And I'm now in Earth Planet Outpost Station, where an Earth creature has just entered. Skull is of medium size, containing about 3,000 cc's of so-called brain matter. Ears flat, lying back against the head, no appreciable points. No antenna of any kind, but sensory receptor openings in the snout portion, and a set of small, beady eyes. Oh, uh, it's starting to speak.
1: Diemos completes his transaction with the customer, and Phobos returns to the counter, complaining that he was about to pass out, presumably from the stench of humanity. Diemos tells him that you build a tolerance after a while, much like coffee and cigarettes. The next scene is an interesting one. It's a quiet moment between two characters where Diemos teaches Phobos how to smoke a cigarette and gives him his first cup of coffee. It's like a breather scene in a breather episode. Everything stops for a moment and we watch Phobos discover the stimulating effects of these earthly indulgences. It is a little weird watching this with modern eyes, knowing what we do about cigarettes, but that's a minor gripe to an otherwise beautiful scene. The gentlemen set up their communication device in preparation for the experiment.
2: Martian Computer Control, this is 4-1, assigned to Operation Earth. I have double alpha priority with probability division. Please give me instructions.
3: Martian Computer Control, probability division speaking you are to go to longitude 7.1637, latitude 173.1761, grid 6, overlay 13. Our analysis of patterns indicates a 99% probability that a murder will take place at 2324 hours, 7131 seconds, 1.131721 microseconds, sidereal time scale. We regret unable to pinpoint this event more accurately, but we suggest that if you are present at the indicated location at the indicated time, you will probably see someone kill someone.
2: Did you get the location? Yes. The lobby of the Luxtel Hotel. That's two blocks from here. Another first-class hotel. 2324 hours, 7131 seconds, 1.131721 microseconds. That's exactly seven minutes Earth time. Martian Computer Control, this is Phobos 1. Will you notify Central Control that we are on our way to the scene of the crime? This is Phobos 1 locking the receiver channel on standby.
1: Phobos and Diemos arrive at the lobby of the Luxdale Hotel. They hide behind potted plants and set up the temporal condenser. They scan across the lobby looking for the subjects when they stop and focus on a woman sitting alone near the corner. Is she the
2: victim? I don't think so. She's out of position by about seven feet, six and four, one hundredths of an inch. Mm. Is it the bell, Captain? Perhaps, if he moves this way. Oh, looks like to me it's gonna be someone getting out of the levitator. Mm. Oh, uh, elevator. Oh, thank you. If the victim's coming out of the elevator, then obviously that young lady has something to do with it. Better get identification, put a thought beam on her, locate her verbal centers and get her name.
1: They focus in and scan her thoughts.
2: I'm getting it now.
0: Oh my. Chasing a rat. Nobody can pitch a foul ball at this cookie and walk away on two feet.
2: Did you get her name? Uh, she's greatly agitated. We must have positive identification of subjects. This is a controlled experiment. Where's your science? You've been down here too long. I can hardly get a word in edgewise. Then come in right now. You have only 30 seconds to zero. Excuse me, my dear. But what's your name? That's no way to probe identity. Give me that. State your name. Yes, sir, buddy boy. You got some tall explaining.
0: What the... What's my name got to do with it? I must be losing my marbles. What is my name? Carla. Carla Devine.
2: Uh, thank you, my dear.
0: You're welcome. Welcome? Yes up. All over the joint in a thousand pieces. That's what he's done to me. Handed me a full-scale nervous breakdown.
1: Carla Devine is played by actress Grace Lee Whitney, who made her Broadway debut in the musical Top Banana. She's probably best known for her role as Janice Rand in the original Star Trek series and Motion Pictures. Sadly, she hasn't given much to do here, and we'll see why in just a moment. But I do like her performance in the time she is given. The elevator starts to descend. boss and Diem was prepared to begin the experiment.
2: Time for countdown. <clears throat> Recording tapes on. Uh, yes, sir. I just say affirmative, please. Laser beam monitor channel open. Uh, yes, uh, affirmative, sir. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one.
1: Zero. The elevator door is open, and a man walks out. Just then, Carla jumps up, opens her purse, and pulls out a handgun.
0: Bert Hamill! You're a two faced, no good, black hearted two timer! Don't shoot! Don't come begging to me! Take that!
1: (laughs) Bert Hamill is played by actor Robert Fortier who was making his first of three appearances in The Outer Limits. He will return later this season in the episode Production and Decay of Strange Particles. And then, in the season two episode, Demon with a Glass Hand. Bert Hamill hits the floor as startled hotel guests and a bellhop drop their newspapers. Carla sits in shock by what she's just done and turns away. Phobos looks on in confusion.
2: Is that all there is to it? That's it? But it happened so fast, I couldn't make hair or tail of it. Well, it always happens that way. One of them gets upset with the other, and boom. Uh, and... But there must be some scientific explanation. Well, you've got the time converter. Why, why not run it back? I'll turn it back to the countdown. Uh, stand back and close your eyes. Every atom in this beam is going to disintegrate and
1: reassemble. The screen freezes, and we get a photo-negative shot of Carla sitting down, while a beam of light flashes off and on. When the light flashing stops, the camera returns to normal, and we're back at the descent of the elevator. Phobos counts down once again, the elevator doors open, and Mr. Hamill walks out, and the murder scene is repeated, ending with Carla looking away. Phobos remains baffled. I can't make
2: anything out of it. Well, there's nothing to make. It's their way of life. Bang you're dead. But there must be some way to get a semblance of cause and effect out of it. I mean the way they go at it is just a random collision. That's it. Diemos, you're forgetting that you're a Martian. There is a scientific law underlying all physical phenomena. You've got to admit that's physical, drilling each other with holes. Yes, it is. But what are you going to do? Run it backwards. But won't that put a hole in the space-time continuum? This is the infinite permutations model. Runs forwards, backwards, twists, warps... braids. Only danger is wearing out the sample area. Now, stand back. I'm going to reverse the electron spin. Uh, Any clues? I'm observing the spectators. Ah, yes. They're known as innocent bystanders. It's a tradition. Each one tells a different version of what happened.
1: In Reba Wissner's We Will Control All That You Hear, The Outer Limits and The Aural Imagination, there's a quote from Leslie Stevens that states, It occurred to me that if we had an overlapping story, we could shoot it simultaneously with slow motion and regular motion cameras, splice the footage in all different directions, and film the episode in four days, which we did. Wissner also points out that this murder scene will be played a total of 13 times by the end of this episode. The murder scene is replayed in reverse this time, starting with the newspaper returning to the witnesses and ending with Bert Hamill walking backwards into the elevator. Even in slow motion, the murder happened too fast. Phobos has no choice but to replay the event, only this time he will slow it down to a speed of 0.7. The machine sounds off, and the elevator begins its slow descent to the lobby.
2: Ten. We'll be here all night. I just hope the atoms don't start cooling. Could it slow down to a stop? Possible, not probable. Nine. Well, can't you speed it up just to bring the elevator down? I want to examine the young lady. Oh, well, you can't go out there. Don't worry. We're on different wavelengths. Eight. But won't the converter slow you down? No, it only converts during the flash. From then on, it maintains a steady state. My atoms will slip in between the slower ones. It's like running through a slow revolve. Seven. They won't see you? No, of course not. Their brains and senses pulse too slowly. They may experience a slight sensation like a thin fog, but they won't notice it. Six. I'll stay here. Good. Keep an eye on the dials. Let me know when the countdown hits ground zero.
1: Full Boss walks over to Clara as the elevator continues its descent. He examines her handgun and makes note of how primitive it is, lacking any rays or transistors. The elevator reaches the lobby and the scene starts all over again. This time, however, the actors recreate the scene acting in slow motion while Barry Morris walks around them at normal speed. Phobos walks over to Bert and notices some red lipstick on his shirt collar, just before Clara pulls the trigger and shoots him. Annoyed that the bullet traveled too fast to be observed, Phobos decides to replay the moment the gun was fired. This time, the scene starts to reverse in slow motion to the moment just before Clara pulls the trigger. Phobos is still unsatisfied.
2: I still can't see the pellet. What are you going to do? Slow it down, clear down, all the way. Oh, but you won't let it stop, will you? If I want it to stop, I turn on the atomic power. It has to be on maximum hold or the electrons fall apart. I'm going down to element one velocity for three seconds. Oh, you are.
1: The event is replayed and Phobos finally sees the bullet fly. The next step, to examine their psyches. The and Phobos stand beside the two.
2: There is one thought wave that stands out above all the others. The name of a female, evidently an associate of the males. Quite a long name, so I jotted it down. Uh, Two-bit floozy, Betty Lou. Oh, the first three words are adjectives describing a reactive condition to Betty Lou. Ah. There's only one problem. Problem? He doesn't know anyone named Betty Lou. I analyzed him clear down to the medulla oblongata. Jane, Joyce, Gloria, Mabel. It goes on for three full rolls of microfilm. At least he's partly right. He did have another female associate. How do you know? Lipstick on his collar. You mean one of them placed it there, deliberately? Oh, it's a famous clue. It appears in murder after murder. Pack up your kit. Where are we going? i got to run him up in the elevator, and we're going up with him. But one of us has to stay here and work the time converter. We'll set it on automatic. It'll reverse at any point we preset it to.
1: They notice the converter is starting to overheat. In their attempt to preset the machine, it begins to smoke. And the scene is replayed multiple times backwards and forwards at high speed. Finally, Phobos is able to set the machine and the two hurry into the elevator as Bert walks backwards in slow motion. Phobos and Diemo stand behind Bert as the elevator climbs to the 10th floor. Once at the top, we see Bert walk into the arms of another woman. And the two start kissing. In reverse, of course.
2: What is he doing? He's kissing her. What is she doing? She's kissing him back. What does it all mean? They all do it. Every chance they get. Oh quick, before it reverses, tune in on her name.
1: The woman's name is Arlene Schnabel. Just then the converter goes off and everything starts moving forward in slow motion. Phobos will not accept defeat. He can't comprehend how shooting and even kissing could possibly be completely random at that moment Bert starts to walk toward the elevator so the two quickly run into it
2: that was a close one you better have one of these what for Ooh, they're very soothing to the nerves i should need some caffeine to wash it down with sir i don't want to say anything but we are slowing down well oh, that's all right i said it at half speed Awesome. I've got it. This experiment is too controlled. The only way we can find out the reason why they exterminate each other is to interfere. Interfere? Mm. Knock the isolated sample off the time track. Oh, but you'd have to get permission from Control Center, sir. Mm. We'd only alter it a little bit. But it's against regulations. You might unravel the entire universe. Nonsense. We've got to do something radical. Yes i
1: the sequence. I love that during the entire scene, Robert Fortier is just staring off, maintaining that same facial expression. The elevator reaches a lobby, and Phobos and Diemos take their positions behind the converter. The confrontation is replaying in slow motion. Diemos begs Phobos not to interfere, but Phobos doesn't listen. The trigger is pulled, and Phobos deflects the bullet, sending it into the wall. Pleased with his actions, Phobos brings the converter back to normal speed.
2: You don't have to try and scare me, Carla. I know when I've been wrong. Wrong? I admit, I, I went out with another woman. You admit it? I had to test my feelings, Carla. I had to find out if I, if I was
0: just playing a game or if I really loved you. And I can tell you true, darling. No other woman can come up to your shoe tops. Oh, come on, Bert. You know how I get when you look at me like that? Well, you're all I want. All I care about. But what are you doing?
2: I'm asking you to marry me. What's he asking her? He's asking her to marry him. It's part of uh, the biochemical pattern. It's their primitive equivalent of our genetic selector machines. It's hard to see the logic in that. A moment ago, she was shooting him. It's a reflex.
1: Okay, I'm all for suspension of disbelief. I'm cool with reality being manipulated forward and backwards, but I have the hardest time accepting that Clara would simply accept the whole I had to be sure argument and then accept a marriage proposal shortly thereafter. So Clara and Bert are kissing each other while the Amos and Phobos look on in amazement when an emergency signal comes in from Control Center.
2: Control Center? This is Phobos One, calling from Earth. We've received an emergency signal on temporal converter units. Please advise. Over.
3: This is Martian Control Center. The tape of your experiment relayed through computers indicates double A red alert emergency.
2: Probability division will give you instructions. Stand by. Double A red alert emergency? Well, that's the highest priority in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Received you loud and clear, standing by.
3: You have exceeded your authority. You have tampered with a temporal sequence. The space-time continuum may be permanently damaged.
2: Oh, but, sir, all I did was to tap a lead pellet out of its trajectory.
3: Fatal error. Repeat, fatal error. Computers predict major disaster.
2: Disaster? How? Male and female are now
3: together. They marry and produce male child. Father tells child of miraculous escape. Child grows up, believes it's immortal. Child enters politics, becomes dictator, starts atomic war in belief it cannot be killed. Atomic chain reactions explode atmosphere, blow up planet Earth. Radiation affects entire solar system, destroys ecologic balance of galaxy, galaxy collides with Andromeda. Computers unable to predict beyond this point due to overheating.
2: But sir. I can assure you it all looks perfectly harmless from down here.
3: Put yourself together, Phobos One. This is double A Red Alert Emergency. Your orders are as follows. Put it back the way it was.
2: Let her shoot in?
3: Affirmative.
2: But it's not fair. The orders are to see that she shoots in. Yes,
1: Diemos pretty- ah. whispers something into Phobos's ear. That brings a smile to his face. Phobos tells Control Center that the orders will be carried out to the letter. He will see to it that she shoots him. The converter is activated and the entire altercation plays in reverse ending with Bert walking backwards into the elevator. The scene plays out once again in slow motion. This time Phobos deflects the bullet with a cigarette case and then hits Bert over the head with it while the Amos jams the signal with static. Phobos picks up the communicator.
2: Control center, this is Phobos One. We put the experiment back. Shooting accomplished as ordered. Victim now on floor.
1: Bert gets up and the marriage proposal scene replays while Phobos looks on smiling. He picks up the communicator to complete his report.
2: This is Phobos One. Temporal converter unit burnt out. Regret to report controlled experiment unable to discover rhyme or reason for Earth creatures obliterating each other. Results suggest random action with no pattern. Recommend continuation of Earth as planet. Also recommend permanent assignment of inspector to Earth caretaker post. You're going to stay. Forbus 1, locking receiver on standby. Yes, Demos. Yes, I think I'm going to stay. I'm getting rather fond of it. I uh, have something for you. Oh, uh, no thank you. I, uh, I have my own. Well, I'll uh, buy you a cup of coffee. What are you really? Yes. Delightful.
1: boss and Diemos pack up the converter device and head out before walking out the door, a smiling Phobos turns and tosses his hat to Clara and Bert, who are kissing each other. We get one more sweeping shot of the nighttime skyline as the control voice takes us out.
0: Who knows? Perhaps the alteration of one small event may someday bring the end of the world. But that someday is a long way off. And until then, there is a good life to be lived in the here and now.
1: I thought this was an odd closing narration for the control voice. I mean, on one hand, it has a good message about enjoying life as we live it, but it's preceded by an apathetic assumption that we will eventually cause our own annihilation. I mean, sure, the assumption is probably correct, but I was hoping for a more profound message at the end, one that spoke of not letting assumptions get in the way of your better understanding instead of just enjoy your life before we ruin everything. Like I said earlier, you know, I was not a fan of this episode upon my first viewing. I loved watching the scene replay in reverse, but after the same 30 seconds forward and backwards about 13 times, it wore pretty thin. Also not helping things is the high-pitched sound emitted by the converter that always seemed to go on just a little bit too long. It was Barry Moore's that won me over in the end. I loved his character arc, from utter disdain for humans to wanting to permanently stay among them, microbes and all. His performance at the end is what really sealed the deal for me. There was a warmth in his smile as he tipped his hat to everyone while the wonderful score of Dominic from Thierry played through. Overall, while not my favorite episode, it wasn't bad either. We now turn to David J. Scow's The Outer Limits companion to sharpen the image with some trivia. Both Martians are named for their respective moon on which they were born. The Skeleton of Controlled Experiment was written by Leslie Stevens on a New York to LA flight. This was the cheapest Outer Limits episode ever made, costing only $100,000, and only taking four days to complete. Stevens is quoted as stating, We were far into deficit financing, and the front office was killing us, saying, look here. you he used up all the money. You're behind, it hasn't gone the way it should, and when you're really scared, you find yourself using every bit of your expertise to do a show that would be enormously inexpensive and still be effective. The voice from the Martian Control Center was voiced by Leslie Stevens himself. And finally, Barry Morse and Carol O'Connor got along very well during the filming of this episode. In between takes, they would sit down and resume their game of chess. One more thing before I go. Since I started this podcast, I've been fortunate enough to have met so many like minded folks who have been so awesome and so nice. It was Craig Beam who pointed out to me how we've all found each other online and how cool it is that we all follow and support each other. And that brought a smile to my face because he was right. Those of us who share a love and respect for classic television have found our own little corner of the podcasting universe. And lately, there's been a lot of cross-pollination between podcasts, which I think is so awesome. What an awesome way to make new friends and spread the word of both shows in the process. Well, I was recently introduced to a gentleman by the name of Zach Moore, who hosts a Star Trek podcast with his friend, Ken Tripp. And because of that introduction, I recently had the pleasure of appearing on an episode of Standard Orbit, a Star Trek The Original Series podcast, where I spoke with Zach about the Outer Limits episodes, Cold Hands, Warm Heart iRobot, Expanding Human, and tonight's episode, Controlled Experiment, all of which feature actors who would go on to appear in Star Trek the original series. I'll give you a heads up, I spoke with Zach before I started working on this episode, so my feelings about Controlled Experiment were more raw and may have even changed since then. But head on over to FM and look for Standard Orbit. The episode is called We Are Controlling Transmission, and it's episode 281. Zach and Ken are a well-oiled podcasting machine, and the time it's taken me to put this episode together. They've already released four of their own. But you can find it easily. Just look for episode 281, We Are Controlling Transmission. I wanna thank Zach for having me on. As I'm sure most of you can tell from my interview episodes, I'm an anxious person and tend to be all over the place during conversations. But ever the consummate professional. Zach was kind and patient. And we had an interesting chat. So that's it for Controlled Experiment. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the show or an upcoming episode, you can email or send an audio clip to victor at You can find the show on Twitter, at Outer Limits Pod. Or also over on Instagram, at the Outer Podcast. I like to post little snippets and updates of upcoming episodes over there, so head on over and give it a gander. You can find recent episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcatcher apps. But if you want to check out older episodes, the archive can be found over on The Mothership that is at twilightzonepodcast.com. There you'll find every show starting from the very humble beginning to the most recent episode. So that'll do it for me. Join me next time when we cover episode 17 of season 1 titled, Don't Open Till Doomsday. Until that time, I am Victor Gamboa. And I return control to you.